Welcome to the Saddle Hunter Podcast. Buckle up, tree standers. You're not in Kansas anymore. It would be nice in Kansas, though. They have some big old bucks. Now, here are your hosts, Greg and Scott. Welcome, everyone, to another episode, episode seven of the Saddle Hunter podcast. As always, I am joined with Mr. Red Squirrel himself. Scott, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty fantastic myself, a little bit better than you, because as we record this, I think a, uh, a big storm is headed up your way, isn't it? Yeah, we got another Nor'easterner uh, closing in on us overnight. Uh, it's going to be our fourth one in three weeks. Um, t- two weeks ago, I lost power for three and a half days, was out of cable and internet for over a week. So I'm hoping we can escape this one. Mm, that's brutal. It, it's it's nice here. We had a little bit of rain today, but it's been really mild with temperatures, really seasonably uh, seasonably warm even in the, uh, I'm going to say, 70s and 80s. So a little warmer than I would like. I wish it was cooler because all the scouting I'm doing, it would be nice if it was a little bit cooler. Yeah, I know. You're rubbing it in because I think I sent a picture of the fallen tree and the snow in my backyard and you said, oh, it's 84 here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's golf weather here. It's It's flip-flops <laughs> and shorts. Nice. Well, I'm jealous, that's for sure. But today's the first day of spring, so I'm hoping that the storm comes through and it all melts and we can uh, get on to spring. So what's new with you, man? You've been uh, been scouting any? How's it been? How's it looking in your neck of the woods? Yeah, I've, ha- I've had to pick and choose my, sc- my spots that I wanted to scout because uh, a lot of the areas I want to scout are covered in a foot of snow for the past month. Um, but there's been a couple spots, the way the storms have been coming where, and the the way the weather has been warming up during the week a little bit. So I've been going down to a certain area that I've been hunting a little bit, but I wanted to scout more. And, uh, I've, I've had some pretty good finds. I've actually really been killing it my last, uh, three scouting trips out. So I'm pretty excited for some of these spots that I found. Uh, I hope you're cataloging all that with some, some video or something. Uh, actually, yeah, I have taken a couple of videos, um. So hopefully I can put something together and share it. Cool. Yeah, I've been scouting a lot as well. I actually did something different this year, and uh, I got in a lease. Um, there's a lease right across the street from my house. It's 6,000 acres, and it's surrounded by neighborhoods. And I did not have a good place to take my kids hunting last year. You know, I was hunting complete, well, you know, 100% public land. And it was just tough to not have any places – uh, that I could leave a lot of gear in the woods. I was hunting almost all mobile, and there was a few spots that that I could preset, but all those were accessed by my kayak. So then, you know, taking kids in there, my my kids are small, and it was just tough. So I decided I was going to get into a lease this year, so I could try to get the kids hooked on hunting and fishing a little bit more. So I'm in the lease, and I've been scouting that a lot. And man, I have found some awesome spots. It seems like most guys are just sticking to the roads and, and the food plots. And I think I'm going to have most of the place to myself. Oh, that's exciting. That's a lot of land. Yeah, it's huge. And like I said, it's surrounded by a uh, neighborhood. So that's always good that you're going to have plenty to eat. And hopefully I'll be able to find some good transition lines between the, the neighborhood and uh, back in the thick bedding stuff. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you're doing the hard work now that probably most of the guys aren't. So you got a leg up already. That's right. Uh, the goal is to have about 10 places set up on the lease. Okay. How are you planning on setting them up? Uh, well, I'm actually drilling them and putting in bolts. And then I'm also using climbing, uh, screwing steps. The bolts are just cheaper. I'm buying them on eBay at 50 cents a pop. And I, I'm just considering them, you know, lost, you know, maybe I'll pull them out with the, maybe I'll go back in with the socket set or something at some point, and pull them back out. But, uh, you know, if I forget or, or whatever, then I'm just considering it a loss. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about, postseason scouting this episode we've got some pretty cool stuff in store right yeah we're actually um pulling some interviews from a a number of members of our forum we had them uh record some answers to questions that we asked and uh it's pretty good stuff so we're pretty excited to share it with everyone yeah before we get into it why don't you uh why don't you uh, go over some of the questions that they're all going to answer yeah, sure. I'll, um, I wrote up some of my own answers to these questions, so I will uh, be the first guinea pig for everybody. All right, so question number one was, what is your name on the forum and where are you hunting? What state, public land, private land, ag, big woods? Well, my name is Red Squirrel, and I hunt public land in New Jersey, and everything that I hunt is big woods. Uh, it's what I grew up hunting and what I've been doing my entire life. I have zero experience with hunting any ag, so actually I'd probably be um, very out of place if you put me uh, near ag. Um, Question number two, when do you start your postseason scouting? Um, Well, I have the benefit of having to listen to everyone's uh, answers already, but my answer is probably a lot different than most people out there because I actually start my postseason scouting before the season, season even ends. Um, sometime around the end of November, when the rut's starting to wind down, um, it's just uh, about a week before our gun season kicks in, in in New Jersey. So I'll usually start my postseason scouting right before gun season because the way I figure it is, I'm my bow hunting. I'm I'm mostly bow hunting, and occasionally I'll go out and do a little gun hunting. But at that point, I figure all the gun hunters are going to be coming out, so I might as well use that extra opportunity to get a head start on my postseason scouting and get into some of those areas that I want to explore. And then if I find some good areas, what I'll do is during the gun season or during the late bow season, I'll actually go in and hunt those areas and um, see what they look like while I'm hunting to get a, a head start for the next year. Question number three, what is some gear that you use specifically in the postseason? Do you carry a saddle, tree prep equipment, anything else pertinent? Um, when I am scouting in just the postseason portion in, we'll call it late winter and early spring, basically my two top tools are a pair of rubber boots and my GPS, and then also just some uh, heavy-duty clothing like Carhartt pants or something that can get me crashing through the briars. Um, but I put I put miles on my boots scouting, and um, I record whatever I find that's interesting on my GPS. And then um, prior to going out, I'm usually looking at aerial maps, looking for areas that I want to hit that day. And I have, I probably have 100 areas marked on maps at home on my computer that I want to scout. And I just don't have enough time 
to uh, to scout them in an off season. So I I never have a lack of spots to go scout. Um, once we get later into the spring, when it's starting to green up, probably sometime in, in starting in May, I will go in and I'll all those spots that I decided I want to actually preset for the fall. I'll take my screw and steps, my ultimate tree step tool, a uh, twelve foot pole saw, a handsaw, ratchet clippers, and bright eye tacks. And um, that, at that point, I'll go in and prep a tree. And if I can, I'll try to prep uh, two or three trees in a day if I can. But my actual scouting missions are separate from my tree prep missions. Question number four. What is the most important focus on your postseason scouting? Looking for beds, setting up locations, finding sign, shed hunting? Uh, for me, it's finding thick areas with cover where the deer are going to be during daylight which basically is their bedding areas. I focus on bedding areas. Um, areas that I hunt are very thick, and um, usually I will hunt the transitions, or I will sneak into the thick area and hunt transitions within the thick areas. But when I can find them, that's when I know the deer are bedding there. Question number five. Offer one or two quick tips that helped you be a better postseason scouter. Um, get out there as much as you can. The best thing about postseason scouting is that there's no season. The funny thing is for me, I have never ever run into another hunter during my postseason scouting. And that's not true during hunting season. Um, at this point in my life, I probably average one, uh, one day a weekend from, from the winter into spring. Um, before kids and before I was married, I actually would would go out there multiple days during the week too. And I've never ever run into another person postseason scouting. So it's a, it's a great peaceful time to be out in the woods. I love the challenge of scouting, figuring out the deer. It's probably what draws me to the, the hobby. Um, so just get out there and, and uh, the more time you spend out there, the better scouter you'll be. Excellent, Scott. That is always good to hear from, you know, other hunters about their perspectives and their tactics and techniques for how they do it. And, you know, you're a great postseason scouter because I know that you do it all the time. I know that pays a big dividend come hunting time. So that's great. And thank you for kind of setting the stage for what this podcast is going to be about. And We've got eight guys that are, are going to be featured on this podcast from saddlehunter.com. Talking with uh, Appalachia, Flinging Arrows, G. Blevins 92, Ikeman Texas, Swamp Sniper, Valerio 024, Pilgrim Hunter, and I'm there. And I guess, Scott, uh, without any further ado, we'll jump right into it with Jared Schaefer from West Virginia. Jared Schaefer. I'm flinging arrows on the forum. I'm from northern West Virginia. I hunt big woods, mainly private, and a little bit of public. Question two, when do you start postseason scouting? I start my postseason scouting the day after season ends. The faster I can get out there, the better. Seems that a lot of guys take some time off after season, but I get right back out there after it and start trying to make a plan for the next season. Question three, what is some gear that you use to postseason scout? A good pair of binoculars, wear a good pair of boots for covering a lot of ground, my phone with Onyx maps so I can mark any areas that I might want to hunt, and most importantly is I carry a little thing of milkweed so I can check the wind currents. 
So if I find an area where I think I might want to hunt, I'll check and see what the wind direction is for that day, and then I'll confirm that with milkweed and see what the air current does in that area. And that's a really helpful thing to know and to write down in your notes when it comes time to actually hunt that spot. Question four, what is the most important focus on postseason scouting? My main focus is to quickly eliminate big sections of land that don't hold deer during the daylight. Big open woods, I try to walk through quickly as I can until I can find a transition line of thicker cover and start looking for sign that leads me to bedding. Once I find exactly where they bed, I figure out how to access that area, a tree to use, and then I usually don't come back until I hunt it. Quick tips that help me become a better postseason scouter. Cover lots of ground. Don't get hung up on one area if the sign isn't there. Once you find a good area, pick it apart thoroughly. Plan your attack and get out. Repeat this process as much as you possibly can to find a bunch of different areas where you can jump around during season. I always say that the first sit is the best sit, so you want to have as many areas as possible where you can do that for different winds and different conditions. Little bonus tip, if G2 tells you that there's hogs or deer in an area, there really probably isn't, so just do exactly the opposite of what he told you and you'll probably be a lot better off. Hey, thanks for that, Jared, but hey, first of all, uh, there's plenty of pigs down here, and just because you can't kill them doesn't mean they don't exist, so you know, the rest of your stuff was okay. I'm going to say average at best since you took a shot at me. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely pigs here. I can't say I blame them, Greg. We all came down to Georgia and no one got a pig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lord, this again. Anyway, hey, something I took away from, from Jared's uh, was binoculars. I don't carry binoculars. Do you carry binoculars, Scott? No, I don't carry binoculars when I'm scouting. And actually, I don't carry them when I'm hunting anymore either. Um, most of the areas I hunt are, are so thick that... Um, if I can see the deer, I can probably see if I want to shoot them or not. So it's just one less thing to carry, one less piece of weight yeah. in my pack. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I don't hunt with them either. So it never occurred to me to bring them postseason. However, one thing that I would like them for, a lot of times uh, there's leaves at the tops of the trees, like on the mass trees, oak trees, and I can't always see what they are. And I've thought about if I had a pair of binoculars, I could look up there at the tops of the trees and see what the what the shape of the leaf looked like. So I might do that. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth it, but for me at least. But Jared, you know, he hunts different types of ground. They've got big ridges and hills and stuff, so he can see a lot more than I can see in the swamp. So I, I, maybe that's the difference. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's I could see it being a big benefit for the country he's hunting. Yeah. Okay, thanks again, Jared. Let's jump into the next one, and that is coming to us from Kentucky. My name is Gary Blevins. I'm G. Blevins92 on the Saddle Hunter Forum, and I'm from Kentucky. I mostly hunt eastern Kentucky and southern Ohio. Um, the type of properties I'm hunting over in Kentucky, I'm hunting private, private farms. Um, then I've just got permission from people um, not exclusive other than I have some property myself, but most of my, my best hunting spots are, aren't my own property. I hunt a lot of other farms. Um, most of them are cattle farms or there'll be cattle farms that have a, a lot of big timber next to them. And so it's mostly big timber and broken timber I'm hunting. Uh, hill country for sure. There's not a lot of crop ground here where I'm at. Um, then Southern Ohio, I hunt Wayne National Forest. 
um, all public land and it's all big timber that I hunt over there. When do you start your postseason scouting? I start postseason scouting pretty much immediately. Um, season isn't even over when I start scouting. So, especially in Ohio, the bow season goes into February, um, January, February, March is when I spend most of my time scouting. What is some gear that you use specifically in the postseason? Do you carry a saddle, tree prep equipment, anything else pertinent? Um, when I first go out scouting, um, I don't carry very much. I'll probably take a backpack with me with just a few essential items. Um, I'll take binoculars, uh, but the biggest tool is my cell phone. I use the hunt stand app and anything I go and find when I'm scouting, I mark everything in hunt stand. Um, that way I can go back and look and figure stuff out. So that's probably the biggest piece of gear I use. Um, I don't carry a saddle uh, unless it's been an occasion where I might have went and did a morning hunt and then I got down and uh, scouted the rest of the afternoon. I've done that several times. Um, and so in those scenarios, I'll have um, all my stuff with me. Um, but the first few times I go out, uh, I won't carry really anything at all. Um, and then once I do find some places I want to put presets or prep some trees I'll come back and that's when I'll bring some equipment I'll have a, um, a pruning uh, saw or uh, uh, or hand pruners um, and sometimes if I camp some private land I'll bring in screwing steps and I'll go back and I'll set some trees up hunt stand app is probably the single most important piece of gear I use for scouting what is the most important focus on your postseason scouting, looking for beds, setting up locations, finding sign, shed hunting, etc. Um, it's a little bit of everything. I try to find beds, but I also try to look at a lot of, of uh, leftover sign from the rut. So it's kind of like I, I've kind of way merged some different styles from Dan Infault, who's known for you know focusing on buck bedding, uh, and then John Eberhardt, who focuses on primary scrape areas and so my scouting is a little bit of a hybrid of the two and, and that's kind of how my uncle had, had taught me when I got in, into bow hunting and so I'll I'll go through I go to an area and I'll just start walking until I find deer trails and I walk every trail that I can until I find beds I find rubs I find scrapes and when I find something I mark everything down and so I, I really just try to follow all the deer trails I can find and see where the deer are going uh, and figure out why they're going there. And so after I've kind of went through a property and I have learned more about it, I'll come back later and start setting up. But a lot of times when I go and hunt a property, I might not have anything set up. So especially when I was over public land this past year, most of it was running gun. All, well, all of it was running gun other than a couple of occasions where I might have left my, my set in the tree from the night before and then go back the next morning and hunt it. A lot of my stuff in Kentucky is, is preset, but some of it is running gun, so it's just a kind of a mix. As far as when it comes to shed hunting, uh, I'm absolutely terrible at shed hunting. Uh, it seems like no matter what time, I, sometimes I'll try to strategically go back to a spot after I think deer have dropped their antlers, and I can never seem to find um, good sheds. Uh, if I do find sheds, it's usually 
small stuff, spikes or fork horns. While I would like to say I get out and shed hunt, I do look for them, but I rarely ever find any good sheds. Offer one or two quick tips that help you better postseason scout. A really, really, really bad mistake I used to make, when, especially when I mostly hunted out of uh, hang on tree stands, is I would grab a stand and then I would go into an area to go scout with the stand with me. Then once I found something, I would go ahead and set up a spot. During during the season, during the rut especially, that's fine when you're trying to get on hot sign. But for postseason or early in the year, I found that you end up missing a lot of places because you'll come up to something that looks really good and set up there and then you didn't go to the other ridge across from it and see all the huge rubs or scrapes or or a new bedding location you didn't know was there or whatever it may be and so my biggest tip my biggest takeaway is get out there and walk and walk and walk every square inch of the property find everything you can uh, don't be lazy this is the, the to me the you know bread and butter of it is just to walk everything look at everything on the property and and figure figure out what's there all right thank you gary for sharing all that information with us and um you don't have to feel bad i'm pretty bad at shed hunting too um, i don't know if anybody saw my post on the forum about the the little oh it's probably six inch y that i found this year but i was pretty pretty pumped just to find that one because it's not even every year that i find a shed so um, that was pretty well that pretty makes cool. three of us i'm not great at shed hunting either i did find one the first day on my shed hunting trip this year so that was pretty cool a nice nice eight point side that was nice but one thing where i differ from gary is that he likes to make two trips and there are definitely pros and cons to that i like how he pointed out about not setting up in the first good place you find until after you've checked you know every ridge and every place around the area. But I generally like to carry everything with me and set up something so I'm only making one trip. But there, again, there's pros and cons to each each, you know, method. Yeah. I actually really agree with Gary there too cuz I like I like to um explore the area cuz you never know if you're go if you got and actually I've had it happen to me when I'm carrying a set of spikes that I want to set up is I'll go, I'll set up a spot and then I'll keep going and I'll be like 30 50 yards away i'm like man i should have set up here so it's it's kind of nice to get a full feel for the area and then come back and set up once once you have that feel cool well you wanna who, who, who's up next scott okay we got valerio 024 he's coming to us from ohio hey saddle hunters my name in real life is spencer valeri and my name on the forum is valerio 024 I grew up in a small town in southern Michigan named Pinckney, but I've hunted all over the state, and I still manage to hunt Michigan every year, but now I live in north-central Ohio, about an hour north of Columbus, and that's where I spend the majority of my time deer hunting. I primarily hunt free permission private land, the largest of which is an 80-acre parcel, but I do extensive scouting on state land as well and hunt it sporadically throughout the year so that I don't wind up burning any particular spot out. The terrain and the topography are quite interesting in this part of Ohio that I hunt. We have a lot of ag fields, but the terrain is really quite hilly. All, all of the properties that I hunt have topography that you have to take into account when predicting deer movement. 
And the state land really has a lot of topography. A lot of it is big rolling hardwoods without a lot of ag at all. What is some gear that you use specifically in the postseason? I usually have a backpack worth of gear for my postseason scouting, but what I consider to be the most invaluable tools for postseason scouting are maps, especially if you're scouting a property that you have never stepped foot on before. I go online and I print out maps either from Google Earth or hillmap.com, and I typically get two for each property. I get an aerial map, which primarily helps me notice land cover features, and I get a topographic, which helps me identify those topographic features which influence deer movement. Then before I scout, I scour the maps and I mark areas that I want to check out, and then as I'm actually out there in the woods, I use various highlighters to mark sign and other deer movement influencers on the maps as I come across them in the woods. Besides maps, I take enough equipment to prep my location so that I don't have to return until hunting season. That usually means I have a pole saw, a hand saw, a set of pruners. I use those to cut shooting lanes, do a little bit of trimming of my walking paths on the way to my stands. I typically carry three Hawk Helium steps and then I wear a rock climbing harness and a lineman's belt and that allows me to climb potential trees and kind of try them out and then prep them if I like what I see as far as cover and such in that location. But as far as gear, that's about it. I use a smartphone to photograph and catalog the sign I come across and then I wear a good pair of Danner pronghorn boots because I cover a lot of ground. What is the most important focus on your postseason scouting? I'm looking for something pretty specific as I postseason scout. I'm looking for places where mature buck sign correlates with natural influencers of deer movement. It's one thing to find random deer sign in the woods, but I want to find sign that tells me a mature buck is in the area. So that could be a lone bed with hair and rubs in it. It could be a primary scrape area. It could be big rubs that are, are high on trees and, and big diameter trees. Maybe it's just big tracks near a food source, but I'm looking for something that tells me that this is a mature buck's home range or that it's an area multiple mature bucks will use during the rut phases. Then once I find that sign, I am looking for nearby influencers of deer movement. So for example, there are a variety of topographic features such as saddles, benches, draws, ditches, ridges, it could be bottoms, ridge points that influence deer movement. I'm also looking for land cover features that do the same thing. This is going to be things like edges where two different biospheres meet. Things like security cover, which I, I kind of define as thicker ground cover than the surrounding areas that allow deer to move in safety from one location to another. I'm looking for food sources, especially those inside of security cover like apple trees, white oaks. Uh, I'm looking at inside corners. I'm looking at creek crossings, fences, brush and cover funnels, some of your more traditional funnels. All of those things cause deer to move in a particular manner. So as I'm postseason scouting, I'm trying to find one of those features that correlates with mature buck sign. When I find that, I'm going to try to prep a tree in the area. Offer one or two quick tips that have helped you be a better postseason scouter. I'll give two tips. The first is to scout the land. 
deer are predictable. They use the land in a very consistent manner. So don't just wander through the woods and scout for deer sign. Start by researching and learning how the deer use land cover and how they use topographic features. And then scout according to the land. When I get out there, I'm looking for those features that dictate the deer movement. And then more often than not, I wind up finding the sign I'm looking for and hoping to come across in those locations. The second thing is related. And while I'm targeting areas that I think deer are going to move through predictably, I'm also scouting overlooked areas. You know, these two states that I hunt get a lot of hunting pressure. And so I've found it helpful to scout seemingly dumb spots those spots that are right next to the highway or a road or maybe they're within 100 yards of the landowner's house or his barn or the parking area. You know, these deer go where people aren't. And sometimes that's unlikely locations. You know, one of the things I do if I get permission on a property and there's other guys that have hunting permission on the same property, I look at my map and I mark the locations of all of their stands that I can find on the map. And then I outline their anticipated entry and exit routes. And then I look at the map and I say, okay, where do these guys not go? I highlight the areas they don't go and I scout those spots. And that's because the deer pattern people and they move accordingly. And if you can catch the deer off guard in those spots where they aren't traditionally hunted, you'll have an advantage. Hey, thanks, Spencer, for all that great information. You're one of the few that takes printed maps with you uh, into the woods anymore. Most guys are relying strictly on cell phone or GPS or something. So that's pretty cool. And a, a resource that you mentioned, hillmap.com. I'd never heard of that one. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. And I also like how you talked about marking things up with a highlighter in the field, especially the entry routes and exit routes of hunters. I think I'm going to steal that idea because I can see how that would make a big difference. When you put it actually on paper or in you know Google Earth, if you if you drew routes and stuff, you could cross off a huge hunk of land and find places that uh, other people weren't going, and you could really key in on that. So those are a couple things that I really liked about that. And then the last thing that I liked that Spencer had to say was how he talked about scouting the land and how mature buck sign correlates with natural influencers of deer movement. Reminds me of an article I read by Bill Winky probably a decade or so ago um and that really changed how i hunt because bill winky is a big proponent of access routes he he says that if you can't access it and if you don't have entry and exit routes for access then he doesn't even bother hunting it and, and i have started to use that and access with my kayak and and stuff along those lines and it's made a big difference for me yeah, I have to agree. Um, that was one of the points that stood out the most for me too. Was uh, when he was talking about that sign uh, correlating with uh, like land features, um, and he, you know, he was he did a really good description of the type of sign that he was looking for, and um, it's 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 just something always to keep in mind. I mean, we all get excited when we find a big rub out there, but you know, you want to you want to take all that sign that you're finding and try to figure out why it's there and how you can use that to your advantage. Absolutely. 100% right. I totally agree. All right, moving on. The next interview comes from the Deep South, from Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Swamp Sniper's next. Hey, guys. This is Swamp Sniper. 
I recently moved north of Birmingham, Alabama from South Mississippi, where I lived for five years. The rest of my life I lived in South Louisiana. I leased 230 acres of timberland in Northeast Mississippi. I got it mainly for my kids to hunt about four years ago. Since I moved to Alabama, it's too far for me to hunt the few public areas I used to hunt in Mississippi and Louisiana. So while I'm getting settled in, I decided to hunt my lease personally and share it with my kids until I get more familiar with what Alabama has to offer. My lease basically consists of rolling hills covered in 20-year-old pines. The pine woods all look the same and deer walk anywhere in it, making it hard to pinpoint a stand location. There is a hardwoods bottom about 20 acres that runs through the middle of the lease. That's where my diversity is. That's where I find pinch points, creek crossings, and most importantly, feed trees. I never stop scouting. Hunting is an all-year hopping for me. Scouting strategies change throughout the year. Postseason scouting, I guess, we can label starting at the last day of the season. It's a good time to bust into the thickets I've been keeping pressure off of during the season. My deer get pressured easily. The thicket is that sanctuary. If I get into it, lots of my deer leave and go to my neighbors causing day and night picks to take a huge drop throughout my lease. My number one scouting tool is trail cameras. I run over a dozen all year. Some have been on the same tree for years. I know when I have pressured my deer, and it's easy to do bow hunting, trying to get right in the action. Hunting with a gun from a distance educates a lot less deer. I like to look for main trails out of the thickets or along the edge of the pines. Those main trails and pinch points is where I'll hunt most of the late season. For early season hunts, I'm looking for feed trees and access routes to them. Before the leaves come in, it's easy to find fruit trees blooming. I do a lot of tree identification. I take pics and go back home searching the where to identify them and determine if it's something I want to hunt. White oaks and red oaks always get a waypoint added to the GPS, but they are here to miss from year to year. A water oak seems to always drop and drop lots for a long time. I always find water oak acorns in the stomachs of deer when I'm cleaning them. Marking these trees on GPS and studying them on different aerial photographs, you can sometimes identify them from the map and locate others to check next trip out. Feed trees don't get any preseason prep work. They are too many and I rather visit them during the season and only hunt them if deer sign is there. Main trails and pinch points get all the prep work. My only tools for the job is a handsaw, climbing sticks, and a lineman's belt. I have ruined spots prepping them during the season. I've caught deer on the plot watcher cameras coming in the evening that I set it up. They come in on alert, nose up, and spin around and leave their tails in the air, never to come back for a month. I'm sure I would have done a better, I could have done a better job on scent control, but it's so hot down here during the hunting season, I'd rather not do any major work. I like to hunt fresh spots the day I find them with as little disturbance as possible. I'm not a big tree prepper because of this. My most important focus on postseason scouting and prepping is on main trails coming out of cover or pinch points. I will run cameras on these trails all year long. I know they are bedded in the thicket but the only way in would be on a deer trail. If I make a trail, it will soon become a deer trail. I keep all activity out of the thicket. In this situation on my lease, it's better not to not go in 
and find actual beds. It's basically a briar patch with a few willow trees. You can ruin the whole lease by making a mistake in there. So I hunt them on the edges. My biggest tip for postseason scouting would be to go with someone you think is a great hunter. I would just invite them to go check out a new area that's new to both of you. You are not looking to find a spot. Just see how someone else interprets the sign. Don't get stuck in a rut hunting the same way with the same people all the time. It has really been an eye-opener for me following someone new around the woods. Good luck to everyone. Hope y'all have a great next season. Be safe and never stop learning. All right, Swamp Sniper, thank you for sharing all that with us. Uh, I took a a lot of good information out of that. Um, in particular, just everything you were talking about with tree identification, um, it, it really is something that hit home with me that I've wanted to get better at. And I, you know, you kind of motivated me to maybe put a little bit more effort into that. I, I think I'm pretty good at finding deer sign, but um, I think if I were to pay a little bit more attention to stuff like that, I could be even better. So um, th- thank you for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Yep. I completely agree with that. The I've really kind of made a concerted effort to identify and key in on white oak trees and swamp oaks. We have a few of those around here in my area. And if generally, if, you, if I find one white oak, there's going to be five or six in a little grove nearby. So that's been something that I've keyed on recently. So I'm glad you brought that up, Swamp Sniper. And your point about scent control down here in the South, it's impossible. I've pretty much given up on it. And I totally agree. And the, the last thing that I wanted to bring up that you made an excellent point that I never thought about was inviting a great hunter to go with you. I think that is just flat out brilliant. And how, how you pointed out, you know, you're not even really looking for a spot. You're just looking to steal or not steal. That's the wrong word, but to learn everything that he's learned. And that is really smart. I really like that tip. I'm going to use that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, I liked how he, he made a note that if he tries to cut a trail into the thick stuff, it'll just become a deer trail anyway. And, uh, I, I can relate to that. We, I can think of many times that we've kind of cut a trail through our cat briars up in here to get in the really thick middle of it. And then before you know, it, it's a deer trail and then, you, you know, you're walking the deer trails to get to your stand. So, uh, thanks again, Swamp Sniper, for sharing that with us. And next up, we're going to listen to uh, Grant Lemon, who is Appalachia on the forum, hailing from West Virginia. My name is Appalachia on the Saddle Hunter Forum. I live in northern West Virginia, and I hunt West Virginia, Ohio, PA. And then this year, I'll be hunting some in Maryland. I'm probably about 50-50 private to public land. Uh, some of the property I hunt in West Virginia is is mostly private. Uh, it's all big woods and uh, almost no ag at all. When do I start my postseason scouting? I pretty much never stop scouting. My Onyx Hunt Map app looks like a kid with chicken pox. There's so many red dots on it. But uh, postseason, January, February, March, uh, I get out whenever the weather and my family life will allow me. Um, try to get out as much as possible in March just because the turkeys start gobbling. And uh, I like uh, scouting for turkeys as well that time of year. What is some of the gear that I use specifically in the postseason? Do I carry my saddle, tree prep, anything else pertinent? A lot of times when I'm scouting in the postseason, uh, I'm trying to get in some exercise as well to lose my winter weight. <laughs> so I'm going out hiking. So a good comfortable pair of boots 
a good pair of binos and a camera to take pictures of anything that I you know find interesting out there, big rubs, uh, scrapes, or bedding. Uh, I like to get pictures of it and catalog it. I don't typically prep a ton of trees. I'm kind of a minimalist when it comes to cutting shooting lanes and that kind of stuff. I don't like to cut a lot. Uh, typically, if I find a place that really needs it, I'll go back and do that during turkey season after I've scouted everything. What is my most important focus on my postseason scouting? I think the most important thing that I look for when I scout is bedding. You know, if you know where they bed, you know where they sleep, um, you can put the rest together pretty quickly. It's uh, probably the most important thing that I would look for. If you can find beds on different wind directions, you're never left sitting at home when you get a weird northeast wind. Uh, or some weird wind, you, you know where they're going to be bedded for that situation. I also like to check out when we got a snow on uh, travel corridors or like a, a low gap in a mountain or uh, an edge that uh, deer travel down. It helps when we have snow on, you can see exactly how they travel through that area. And it might be a little different, you know, being that it's a different season. But I've found that a lot of them are, are kind of the same and they, they kind of move similar throughout the year using an edge or uh, through a low gap. Offer one or two quick tips that help me be a better postseason scouter. I think the biggest thing that I've been doing this year, so I don't know if it's really going to pay off, but it makes sense to me. Uh, taking a ton of pictures or video whenever I find a bedding area, uh, what kind of trees are in there, uh, how far away they are from the beds, I think that's going to come in really handy. So I think a way that's really going to help me is like, say next year a buck changes his pattern and I, I don't have him anymore on a certain camera or I'm not seeing him like I was, I can look back and see what bedding was close to food or, or what white oak tree was 80 yards from a bed and I can adjust my setup based on that. And I think that's going to be really helpful next year. Uh, if not, then I'll, I'll scrap it for next year, I guess. Another really good tip that I have uh, if you set up observation stands for flinging arrows, watch him from about two or 300 yards away and see where he's hunting. Uh, I, I plan most of my spots for this year based on where he killed big bucks last year. So I ought to kill five or six next year. His Onyx looks like a kid with chicken pox. Of course it does. Grant, of course it does. <laughs> uh, something I took away from, from Grant is that he – carries a camera in addition to a cell phone camera, which that's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit bold for me. It seems like a lot of weight or maybe I just misunderstood him, uh, but he is from West Virginia along with that flinging arrows guy. So th the things that they do don't necessarily have to make sense. Uh, <laughs> but you know, great, great info from Grant. And then, you know, talking about seeing the dip, seeing the tracks in the snow to identify different travel patterns. That's great. I wish I could do that. I did that when I was living in upstate New York, hunting those deer. And I wish I could do that in Georgia. Uh, alas, it's just not realistic. It can be really helpful depending on the time of the year because, or the time of year you're looking to hunt. Like I find that, you know, during the fall when it's thicker, in a greater area around me, you know, the deer might be a little bit more spread out, but, um, when the snow is falling, you can really, uh, pattern some spots and find out where they're really moving for those late season hunts around me. So it's, that was a good tip as well. Yeah. Agreed. A lot of good info there. And I think the, the best part might've been the last part when he talked about just stealing all the spots from flinging arrows. I mean, Hey, if I was hunting next to Fling and that's what I would do, I would set up right beside him and just try to shoot the deer first. 
I mean, based off the season he had, I mean, you can't go wrong with that strategy, right? There you go. There you go. Grant is a smart man, even though he's from West Virginia. Next up, we have Isaac Barnett coming to us from Texas. Question number one. What is your name on the forum and where are you hunting? My name on Saddle Hunter is Ikeman TX, and I hunt public land north of Dallas, Texas and up into Oklahoma. The areas I hunt fall in the post oak savanna, cross timbers, and blackland prairie eco regions of Texas and Oklahoma. Around here, there's very little ag, mostly cattle grazing areas, and the specific properties I tend to hunt are usually floodplain regions around lakes, rivers, and stuff like that. Question number two, when do you start your postseason scouting? Absolutely as soon as the season closes. Here in Texas, that's typically the first Monday in January, and in Oklahoma, that's usually around January 15th. I typically only carry my phone, some water, and snacks with me that time of year. I use a few different GPS-type apps so I can mark potential setups, take notes, take pictures, and such. Uh, but I have decided that starting next year, I'll be carrying two wild edge steps and a couple of cameras and a sit drag so that I can place a camera if a location just really seems to beg for one. Um, our bucks down here oftentimes don't drop their antlers until the end of February to early March. So having a camera up at the beginning to mid-January could allow me to see what bucks might have made it through the season. I don't carry tree prep equipment, um, mostly because our growing season down here in the south is so long that if you try prepping trees in mid-January before the growing season even starts, oftentimes by the time season rolls around, you're... Uh, stuff you've trimmed, lanes you may have worked on, uh, end up closing back up due to growth. Question number four, what is the most important focus on your post-season scouting, looking for beds, setting up locations, finding signs, shed hunting, etc.? Uh, finding sign is absolutely the primary focus for me post-season. I'm learning that Dave T. 1963's description of bedding down here is just absolutely spot on. Bucks here just don't have individual beds. More like half acre to two, maybe even three acre bedding areas uh, that they end up in but not specific beds. I think a lot of that has to do with our very low deer densities. We oftentimes have three to four deer per square mile. I think some one of the areas I was looking at, the most recent quote on it is two and a half deer per square mile. So there isn't hardly any competition for bedding aside from pigs. And that's also why I really don't focus on shed hunting because with so few bucks in an area, you just really have to get lucky to stumble across decent sheds. Question number five, offer one or two quick tips that help you be a better postseason scouter. For me, I think mostly is just get aggressive. Nothing you do right now will affect buck movement during the season. It's kind of a free-for-all. Um, also cover a lot of ground. A typical day for me can easily be eight to 10 miles of walking. Uh, we don't have much terrain change here in North Texas, South Oklahoma, so topo maps are oftentimes absolutely useless to me, but using an aerial photo uh, can get to where you hit edges very efficiently. Um, I oftentimes skip contiguous chunks of vegetation if there's no sign on the edges to draw me in with uh, very little topographical change. Sometimes a 80 acre chunk of woods ends up being kind of a desert as far as food's concerned or bedding is concerned. You can spend a couple of days just really 
using a fine tooth comb over 80 acres to find that there was no reason to have gone in it in the first place. So if there's nothing on the edges to draw me in, nothing that uh, shows that there's a decent amount of buck activity, I oftentimes just skip it. At the end of the day, for me in our area, um, this time of year, the name of the game is finding the best sign in the hardest to reach or most overlooked places. All right. Thank you, Ikeman, for sharing all that information with us. Uh, I could tell right off the bat you're definitely very knowledgeable about the uh, vegetation in your area. Again, as we talked about already, it's something I really need to keep working on. Um, One of the things I agree with you the most out of there was just covering the amount of ground. Um, For me, you know, some days I might cover four or five miles just walking around in maybe a a few hundred hundred acre square area. Another day I might walk seven or eight miles walking the perimeter of a swamp. So just put, put boots on the ground and keep walking until you find what you're looking for. Yep. Great stuff, Isaac. Uh, I didn't realize that Texas and uh, North Texas and Southern Oklahoma had such low deer densities. That's, that's news to me. I kind of always assumed that Texas was just loaded with deer. So that was different. I did not know that. Um, I like how you talked about getting aggressive. That's a great tip. You know, now's the time in the, in the postseason is the time to go into areas you normally wouldn't go. So that's a great tip. And I also like how you pointed out that you walk the edges. And if you're not seeing great sign right on the edge, you'll just skip whole blocks of timber. Uh, that makes a lot of sense because deer are creatures of the edge. You know, they, they live on the, the edge of the edge of terrain. They live in edge of cover they they move in the edge of darkness so the deer truly are creatures of the edge that's a great point i'm oh, glad I, you brought that I, up I, I like that one greg live on the edge of darkness <laughs> every once in a while i say something that makes sense <laughs> all right well next up we got pilgrim hunter from southwest virginia hey guys my name is steven yoder otherwise uh known as pilgrim hunter on the saddle hunter forum I am from the mountains of Virginia, southwestern part. Um, the land I hunt here is obviously hill country we, because I'm in the mountains. Um, it's a mix of ag and woods. There's very little public land close to me, so most of my hunting is on private land, smaller parcels. Um, nothing that I have exclusive rights to on any of these properties. I don't lease any land. All, all the properties I would have to work around other hunters and hunter pressure. I've been hunting since I was 13, um, and that's been hunting 20 years now. Talking to postseason scouting, I start my postseason scouting right after deer season. I, I love scouting almost as much as I do hunting. Um, to me, it's a part of hunting. It's a year-round thing for me. I have four kids under the age of 10, so I do not have a lot of free time. So scouting is a way for me to extend my extend my season, extend that time in the woods. Just whenever I have a few free hours, I'll go out and scout. <clears throat> but my favorite time is, is postseason, starting in January, on up till green up. I find that uh, that's when the sign is still the freshest from the fall, from the season. Deer are closer to still some of the same patterns they were during deer season. You can see those, see that sign easier. <clears throat> what is some gear I carry? I use specifically in postseason. 
I'll usually carry a saw and a pruning shears, but really my goal, the goal on most of my trips is to cover ground rather than prep trees. I um, occasionally I'll carry a saddle, my saddle on the stick, or but I'm really, I'm really looking to cover ground, and I'm not carrying much stuff. I, I do, and I do this on my phone. I do mark spots on a GPS. I really key in on that so I can go back and and look at that and plan out some strategy <clears throat> what is the most important focus of postseason scouting I look for beds to me now this was a shift of focus for me here in the last couple of years but and it's really it's really been paying off but trying to relate deer movement and deer patterns back to their bedding to understand where they're spending most of their time during the daylight when I can hunt them and, and how they'll move from there to food sources um, or between doe bedding areas. or And you hear a lot of talk about that, but I, I really feel like it's key. <clears throat> um, trying to predict where they're going to be at during daylight. So I look for sign in relation to bedding. I, when I go to scout, I'll scout out areas online first on maps that I feel like are bedding areas, and then I'll hit those areas. I don't do a lot of just wandering through the main part of the woods. Um, I'm not too concerned about the sign I pick up there that, that's not in relation to any bedding. Um, <clears throat> because I, I want to know where they're where they're bedding and then and then kind of move out from there and I, I try to relay a hunt in relation to that bedding unless it's during peak rut when I'll try to hunt some some funnel areas travel areas then but I'll concentrate my scouting on those you know and then if I see that I need to prep a tree I'll slip back in a week or two later and, and try to do that work in one shot but I, I try to be careful how much I disturb the areas there I don't go hacking out big long shooting lanes wide shooting lanes I don't want to disturb that area I want that deer to still feel comfortable there um, to not feel pressured in there and then I'll try to stay out of them as it moves in the summer I'll really try to stay out of those bedding areas um, shift my scouting more to just glassing crop fields hitting outside skirt areas um, running trail cameras and such but <clears throat> try to stay out of those bedding areas as, as a as a push towards season the other thing i would note in that that i and i and i screwed up on this last year i was on a i'd patterned a, a really nice probably 140s uh 10 point and I had his, I knew where he was bedded very close within a, a hundred yard circle that I could about pinpoint where he, he was bedding. I really felt confident going in. But what I failed to do was relate the closest food source to that bedding. Um, and I'll try to look for that. I'll try to think about where's the close acorns or something. And what happened, this deer came out of bedding came to an oak tree that was dropping acorn 60 yards away from me um, there was some heavy brush between us but I could see him and I watched him for 40 minutes till it got dark 
and he wouldn't move. I tried grunting at him, but you know, what I should have related that his movement was going to pass through that oak tree because it was right there next to bedding. He was going to hit that close food source, even though it may not have been prime. It was a red oak, not a white oak, but he would still, because it was so close, he was liable to hit that. So especially if you can find a prime food source. I know another bedding area is a big white oak tree that's right close and the deer will come out of bedding and hit that tree um, or hit it even other times during the day because it's so close in relation to bedding when that thing goes to dropping acorns. So think about that too as you're scouting. I try to do that to relate if there's a if there's something a draw close to bedding that will concentrate that deer movement past me and that'll change depending on what time of year. But you next year you can bet I'm gonna be set up where I can shoot to that oak tree assuming there's acorns again and assuming that buck is back in there. <clears throat> and then just one or two quicks one or two quick tips that have helped me be a better postseason scouter. Uh, try try to just think about why deer are doing what they do. I, I'm convinced deer don't just randomly do things for no reason. They travel the way they do for a reason. They bed where they do for a reason. And if you can understand that and try to break down that puzzle, you'll be much farther ahead. Um, they go places for a reason. And if you can kind of get in the deer's head, so to speak, you'll have a huge advantage. And then you can take those patterns and, and take them to a new property, a new place, and you know the, the reasons stay the same. It, it's really, if you can start understanding that, it's really a big boost to patterning deer. And secondly, you know, just enjoy the hunt. You hear people say that. You know, I find myself sometimes getting too caught up in you know some of what you see online and some of these hunts these guys are hunting properties that are managed in states where the deer grow a whole lot bigger than they do here and i can feel like i'm in competition with them trying to to be as good as them and fact is i'll never be able to unless i am willing to spend that amount of time and that amount of money and i'm not at that place in life um and so just to go out and enjoy the hunt, enjoy the process, even you might say the failures. You don't enjoy failures, but you learn from them. And in that way, you're hunting and just enjoy that. Don't beat yourself up. Learn from every situation and, and your success will improve in that. But most of all, just have fun with it. Enjoy the scouting because it's part of hunting. And... So just relax and enjoy that, that journey of becoming a, a better hunter. Like I said, I've been at this 20 years. And just just enjoy the enjoy the journey, so to speak. Thank you, guys. Hey, Stephen, you, uh, you're not the Stephen Yoder making Yoder chaps, are you? If you are, hey, man, that's a great product. I love them. If not, just disregard. Uh, but I, I really liked what you had to say. Lots of good points. Four kids under 10. Whew. You are a busy man. Um, I don't see how you have time to do any postseason scouting, much less go hunting. But sound like you got it. Got a good system going in Virginia. I have spent quite a bit of time in Virginia. I went to college in Lynchburg, which is in or in the Blue Ridge Mountains there, kind of south central Virginia, and I loved hunting there. So 
uh, I can definitely relate to the terrain you're talking about and, and stuff like that. So really good to hear all of your your points about focusing your efforts on bedding areas as opposed to timber and you know buck sign is basically meaningless to you if it's not related to bedding in some way that's a good that's a good point yeah i could i could relate to a lot of what um what you said as well um one of my favorite lines was when you were talking about how you love scouting as much as hunting and for the guys listening to this they'll know i basically said that same thing during my answer session but I just love being out there in the woods and I think postseason is a great time to be out there and what better hobby than to, to be out there scouting. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, and, you know, before we go to the next one, I just wanted to point out, I also liked how you talked about, you know, enjoying the hunt. Don't compete. It's not a competition. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Just go out there, have fun, you know, hunt your own hunt. And that's enough. You know, I really like that. It's a great perspective that we all need to hear from time to time. So thanks for that, Pilgrim Hunter. The last guy we're going to talk to tonight is Mr. Ricky Richardson himself from the great state of Tennessee. My name on the forum is I'm There. I hunt Tennessee public lands along the rivers and lakes. It is a grab bag of ag fields, cedar thickets, hardwoods, hills, and hollers. When do you start your postseason scouting? I never stop scouting. Every time I'm in the woods, I'm scouting. I move around a lot. By move around a lot, it could mean 50 yards away or a totally different area of the WMA. There's only one spot I have that I hunt more than a couple of times a year, and that's usually in early bow season. Here in Middle Tennessee, we have nearly 100,000 acres easily available to hunt within a couple hours of my house. So finding the hottest sign and hunting it then is the best way to see deer. Remember, if you found it, chances are someone else will too. I've always heard first sit is the best sit, and I try to abide by that. The most important gear I believe I have is boots. There are a ton of creeks to cross, so a good pair of boots is invaluable. I like to carry my sticks and my sit drag to climb and prep trees. I carry my five foot Fiskars Pertiga cutting stick and a good pair of snips anytime I'm scouting. Question four. What is the most important focus on your postseason scouting? Looking for beds, setting up locations, finding sign, shed hunting, etc. I generally scan the creek banks for escape routes. If you hunt a lot of public land, it's always a good idea to know where the deer are going to be when the pressure comes. I check maps and mark potential food plots on neighboring properties. If they pressure the deer on the plots and the wind is right, it can have a positive effect on my hunting location. I always try to find food sources for early season and late season food. Early season, I scan the woods for chickapin trees. They seem to be a Tennessee whitetail favorite. I want to know why they are in a certain area. Is it food? Is it cover? Is it bedding? Once I find the food, I like to know how am I going to get into that area and out of that area without being detected or leaving the least amount of human footprint in that area. Question five, offer one or two quick tips that helped you become a better postseason scouter. I have to give my hats off to YouTube channels for postseason scouting trips. Dave T 1963 has put out a great series of videos on Saddle Hunter this year. Scouting trips and videos of other people's hunts have been a great asset. G2's video this year about his hunts, the way he explains where and why he is hunting an area have been a great resource of information. 
talk to your local game warden. If you see the game warden that is in charge of bush hogging and taking care of the land you hunt, he is a great resource. If the public land you hunt is farmed, talk to the farmer every time you see him. He has seen a lot and knows a lot about the properties you are about to hunt. Believe it or not, I try to talk to every hunter I see in the woods and parking areas. You want to try to find out a little bit about where they are hunting. One, so you don't end up in the same spot. Two, hunt the hunters. Check them out. Do they smoke? Do they have a scent regimen? You can tell a lot about them if you're a little bit observant. They can help your hunt if you figure out how to use them against the deer. Be first in, last out. Deer will move when people move them by disturbing a deer's area. If the hunters get real nervous and they really don't want to talk to you, they don't want to share, they, they probably either seen a good buck or they think that you're going to go hunt their area. Like I said, be observant and you can learn a lot about them and the people you're hunting around. Well, thank you, Ricky, for sharing that one with us. Um, I think the best line that I took out of, of your little spiel was looking for where the deer go when they're pressured. Um, you know, it's just such a good tip for when you're hunt, uh, hunting heavily hunted public land. And, um, you know, when you get out there in the postseason, you can really dig in and explore those areas and, and figure them out. So um, just just all around good stuff there. Yes, a lot of good stuff from, from I'm There in Tennessee. That was awesome. A lot of points that I could bring up, but I'll just hit a few. First of all, you mentioned again, first sit, best sit. That is my favorite line when it comes to hunting. I totally believe in that, and it's good that you brought it up. I couldn't agree more about boots. They're so important. My feet are wet every time I walk into the woods here, so my boots are absolutely key. Like Scott said, keying in on those escape routes, huge deal. I'm going to try to pay more attention to that in my scouting this year, so thank you for that. And, and you know, the point about YouTube, that's really a good point that no one else brought up. I mean – you mentioned some of the guys on the forum. You mentioned me and Dave T and there's lots of other guys that are putting out great content on YouTube, but not even just related to saddle hunting YouTube in general from as far as a, from a resource perspective. I mean, what a great learning tool YouTube is. So I'm glad you brought that up. And you're just saying that cause he gave you a shout out. He, he gave me a shout out. That's because he's smart. You know, he, he understands <laughs> talent and recognizes it when he sees it. <laughs> No, I'm just busting uh, busting your chops there. But yeah, no, he's right. There's a lot of good stuff on YouTube. I'll actually lay there in bed before I'm going to sleep and just search around on YouTube. If I can find a quick video to watch before I fall asleep, you never know what you're going to pick up. Absolutely. And, and then the last thing I wanted to mention is, you know, I, next time I talk to Ricky, I got to really pay attention to what I say because he's checking out how I look. He's looking at my clothes. He's trying to steal my spot. So, Ricky, be careful. You're You're on notice when you're talking to me. It's funny you bring that up because I've been debating if I wanted to make fun of you for those loafers that you filmed your last video in. <laughs> sure, you know, make make fun away. It's fine with me. Those were some fancy shoes for filming YouTube videos, my friend. I don't even remember what loafers you're talking about, but okay. I don't know. It looked like you were about to go out to dinner with your wife. No, they were boots. When I saw your pants go up, they were a little higher, but they were they were fancy looking. Oh well, thank you. It's it's the, the red one. Oh yeah, yeah. It's nice that you you paid attention to my fashion choices, Scott. You're really you're really earning that pink squirrel name. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I guess we should wrap it up. We've caught we've kept these guys long enough tonight, but there were a couple things that I wanted to mention, Scott, and then and then you can give kind of your final thoughts. But first of all, 
bed hunting and like beast style hunting, that was a topic that kind of came up over and over again with all of the different um, clips from the different different people from around the country. So I think it's important to note how many people that resonates with. If you're not paying attention to bed hunting tactics or beast beast hunting tactics, that is something that you need to include into your postseason scouting and into your you know regular season hunting tactic. Um, that is so important. And the second thing is is how much our phones, our smartphones, and and our connectedness has changed. Almost everyone said that one of the key things that they're worried about is, is programs like Onyx and HuntStand, and they're using their phones to mark these places and get better, you know, situational awareness about where they're hunting and how how the deer movement is relating to terrain and and features around them. So those two things really kind of stood out to me: bed hunting and and phone and mobile apps. Yeah, there's there's just so much more information out there right now than there was. I know when you and I were growing up, we had to to learn a lot of it on our own, and or not learn a lot of it on our own, and um, just utilizing all this information. I mean, if you're willing to put the time in and learn, you really can become a better hunter. And then at that point, it's just a matter of execution. Yeah, good point. Good point, man. Well, this was a lot of fun, Scott. We need to do something like this again. Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about postseason scouting, and I love doing it, and um, I can't wait. Hopefully the storm doesn't hit me too bad, and I'm able to get back out there this weekend. But Yeah, I hope so. I uh, big, big news in my world is I just uh, splurged on a new canoe uh, over the weekend, so I'm excited for it to get here. The uh, They've got glowing reviews from the guys on the forum, and... Uh, I have a kayak, but the thing that pushed me over the edge was really trying to figure out how the heck I'm going to get a deer out when I shoot one, and I don't think it was happening in my kayak. So I uh, I splurged for that, plus I'll be able to take my daughter out. We'll do some little fishing trips in it. So um, I'm excited to get it here, get it set up, and start doing some more postseason scouting using it. I think you made a great choice, man. The boat has really kind of revolutionized my hunting. And, you know, I'm a Hobie guy. I'm a, I'm a Hobie kayak guy. But if, if I wasn't so keen on them for fishing, I would definitely have a new canoe. I, I don't think a new canoe is quite as solid as a fish of a fishing vessel as the Hobie Pro Angler. Um, but I think it's probably a, well, hands down, a better hunting vessel. So uh, definitely something to consider. So I, I think you're going to like it. I think you made a good choice. You're going to really enjoy it. Um, yeah, so before we let let you guys go, hey, if you would go on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, however you consume this podcast and leave us a review, give us a thumbs up and and write a nice glowing review, you know, tell the world that this is the best podcast in the world. We certainly appreciate it. It will help more people find the Saddle Hunter podcast and we can we can bring more hunters into the Saddle Hunter family. Yeah, and you know, um the best thing about bringing more saddle hunters into our family is the more we grow, the more innovative ideas that get shared within our community. We've had a couple uh, new members really just join within the past few months and they're coming up with some awesome ideas and it's just so cool. Like we're all sitting here, like we've been working on this for a while and then, you know, someone else shows up and bang, 
they're blowing us out of the water. 100% right. It's amazing what a fresh set of eyes will do to a problem. It just can turn it upside down and solve it rather quickly. Um, so that makes a good point. Hey, go out there, share this on social media, invite your friends to listen. If you were one of the guys that contributed, I, I expect you guys to be posting this and getting your friends and family to, to listen so we can help, again, grow the Saddle Hunter family. And again, we appreciate you guys listening so much, and we will definitely catch you guys next time on the next episode of the Saddle Hunter Podcast.